Hi, in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon. Welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground in mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is edited and adapted from Matthew 5, verses 4 through 11. Jesus began his Sermon on the Mount, listing eight spiritual traits that will lead to true happiness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall seek God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Our greatest treasures are often found in our greatest place of pain, writes Robin Bertram in one of her books titled Hidden Treasures, Finding Hope at the End of Life's Journey. Robin offers wisdom gained by walking through the darkness and finding hope in the eternal God. Her scripture-based insights, they encourage families that wrestle with questions in the midst of tragedy, and she also writes to help caregivers who are helping a loved one navigate the journey toward heaven. My guest today is Robin Bertram. She is a Christian author. She's a speaker. She is dedicated to spreading the word of God and empowering women in ministry. So she is speaking with us today about her wonderful book, Hidden Treasures. And us at Until We Meet Again are a huge fan of Robin, as well as finding hope at the end of your journey. Robin, why does this part of life appeal to you so greatly? Well, you know, Elizabeth, um, a couple of years ago, I went through a, a health challenge myself personally. And and when I did, I really started to look at how I was going to get through a devastating diagnosis that could have been a two-year death sentence. And I remember years before God had put on my heart just a desire to, to help families um, cope with long-term or terminal illness because I was in prayer ministry, and God was so gracious to allow me to pray with families as they were going through these personal struggles. And as a young woman, I often wondered, I, I just didn't understand why this type ministry, just God just kept putting right in front of me until, of course, I went through my own health challenge. And for about two years, I did not know whether I was going to live or die. I had been to Mayo. They had given me a diagnosis, um, that, but it was a diagnosis that basically said you have to go home and just wait. Um, they couldn't, there's no test. There's no medication. There's no treatment. So all I did was come home and wait to to for my situation to get worse. 
And during that two years, I started to think about my own life. And Elizabeth, I know God just, there was a, when I first received the, the potential diagnosis, I, for about two months, I just went into a deep, dark depression. And I couldn't get out of bed. I could not think. I could not function. And it was, it was like one day a light bulb just came on, and I felt God say in my heart, Robin, are you going to believe what you've taught for the last 30 years? And when I, when I got that understanding in my heart, it was just like I shook off depression, and I mean literally shook it off, and I said, I refuse refuse to give in i'm going to fight so during those two years i i gathered every healing scripture i could possibly gather i quoted those healing scriptures every day i had written out a prayer i read that prayer out loud every day the promises of god i pled the blood of jesus i did everything i knew to do for about two years and finally, on my last visit to the Mayo Clinic, they dismissed me and they said, uh, "Miss Bertram, we can't explain what has happened to you. All we can tell you is there's no more damage and come back if you ever need us again. But through that challenge, this book was birthed. And I, I remember thinking there was a, there's a scripture in Isaiah 45.3 that says this, God says, I will show you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know I am the God of Israel who summons you by name. It's fascinating that you were a second-generation person in your situation because you had shared that your father also had a diagnosis. He had a heart issue, and he outlived his diagnosis 30 years or so. And when the doctor said, sir, what the heck are you doing? He offered, well, prayer and vitamins. Yes. <laughs> and that is a true story. <laughs> and, you know, it's so exciting because I really believe, Elizabeth, thanks to my father's life, lived well that I could reach in to my own heart and find what God had placed there. And there, there were treasures there I did not know I even had. And through that, I believe, you know, before every testimony, there's a test. And I think whatever can be shaken will be shaken. That's what the Bible tells us. And I really believe that God allowed me to go through a time of testing, just like the children of Israel, not for him to know, but for me to know what is in my own heart. And so I started to reach in, in there and really pull on my own faith. And I know that when I, when I sat down to write the book, I had worked with families, and this is what I know, because I went through some of these questions. If God is so go good, why am I going through this pain? What will I do? What will my family do? And it, it's a time when you're facing um, a health challenge that you fight fear because fear is ready to consume you. And so in the book, I really focus on ways that you can stand on faith. You can stand 
on the written word of God. One chapter that I have in the book is called Hope Floats. And I really focused on how you can find hope. And I did that because when I was going through the dark days, I remember, Elizabeth, where there were days that I felt no hope at all. And I'm a believer. I know there's life after this life. I know that Jesus Christ in my heart has guaranteed that there is a life eternal with him. Once you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. And But even that, even knowing that, I still suffered with this dire place of darkness where I could find no hope. And, you know, biblical hope is, is, is a hope that cannot be shaken because it's, a, it's an expectation that good is going to come even out of bad. And so um, in the book, I really try to focus on ways that you can... Even even if you're going through it yourself, you can stand on biblical hope. Or if you're a family member, you can help your loved one go through this process. And, of course, the first thing is salvation, because without salvation, there is no hope. And the hope, we can't, hope can't be there without salvation. So the first thing is I really spend some time encouraging my readers to be sure to be able to share the good news of the gospel with their loved one that's going through this difficulty. I wrote the book in in such a way that the person, whoever is facing illness, can go through this book, but I also wrote it for the loved ones. They can help their loved one go through the process. And so in the book I wrote uh, Looking Inward, because we all need to know what, what's really inside of our own heart, even believers. And that's what I was talking about, getting anything that can be shaken will be shaken. And then the second part of the book is looking outward. And this is a hard part because people, when they're suffering, don't want to reach out for help. But this is the time when you humble yourself and you let people know what you need. And then the third part of the book is looking upward, and that's about having a heavenly perspective. When you have a heavenly perspective, you can get through the times of darkness knowing that one day you will be with your loved ones again. So I I really tried to focus on writing the book from both of those perspectives. Uh, At the end of the book, I've got what I call love in action. And this, it's just sound advice and practical suggestions for families, what they can do for their loved one. And when when I say practical, like, you know, one person being in charge and having, literally having a checklist, go to the grocery store this week mow the lawn this week, pick up the mail this week, where you can pass out to all your friends and loved ones and assign them a day. And you would not believe how that alleviates the stress and burden from the family that's going through this type of crisis. So it's a spiritual book. It's a practical book as well that gives you um, great suggestions and even a checklist at the end of the book. I wrote the book, too, Elizabeth, throughout. There's what I call nuggets of wisdom, and there's scriptures, specific scriptures that I used during my time of challenge when I was facing a health crisis. 
that that gives each uh, give the reader something they can hold on to. You know, they can make copies and just hold on to those scriptures and and pray them and speak them out every day. And then at the end of each chapter, I lay out uh, a treasure chest where you're going to find little nuggets. And basically, it's encouragement that I teach throughout the book, throughout each chapter, so that you can just go back and look at the treasure chest and find ways of um, dealing with the situation. As I, as I wrote the book, I really tried to keep in mind, because, you know, this is what I remember hearing. I worked with a, a child, Elizabeth, and he was 11 years old, and his, he, he had a death sentence. He lived three years. I ministered to him and his family, and I learned through that child more than I could possibly even write in this book about facing our own mortality. He used to say, he said, Miss Robin, I want my coach to get saved. That's all I want. And here this little child facing such hardship wasn't concerned about himself. He was concerned that his coach would, would find Jesus. Uh, that is such a beautiful lesson because we can learn from this little child the importance of life after this life. And you know, now they've, they've proven, Elizabeth, there's scientific um, studies that have proven about people that have after-death uh, experiences. Our spirit lives on. Our spirit lives on. And sometimes that's just a hard concept for people to grasp. You know, we just think of the here and now, I'm here today, but I'm not gone tomorrow. The Word of God is very sure that our spirit leaves and, and goes to be with Jesus. We will see him face to face when we take our last breath. And that should give each one of us hope because we know we know that we do not come to an end. And I think that's just, that's just a beautiful part about the book. And the last, the last chapter, I type, entitled it, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, Nobody Wants to Die. <laughs> Heaven is a real place. That was a, um, a dear friend of mine I had ministered to through his death sentence when he went on to be to glory. Um, he, he called me and he said, I want to give you something. And I ran by and I met him and it was a CD. Everybody wants to go to heaven and nobody wants to die. And he put that CD in and it was a bluegrass music, which I'm not a big fan of. But as we sat there and listened together, we laughed and laughed and laughed. And then we cried and we cried and we cried. And I knew, Elizabeth, he was letting me know I'm ready to go. And so there's a part of the book that really I, I focus on acceptance. When there's no other option, or there's no other medicine, there's no other treatment, when there's nothing else available, then comes a time of acceptance. And that's an important time when family really has to jump in there and hold the hand of their loved one. And they have to say, it's okay, you can go home.
If you were... it's, it's a it's a beautiful release that is just it's so freeing for everyone there because your loved one doesn't want to leave you. And your loved one will stay even to the point of their own harm and hurt because they don't want to leave you. I remember I had a, um, a CPA that worked for my ministry, and she, was, she had three months to live, and she called me just weeks before she passed on to glory. But her, she was holding out to see all three daughters. When the third daughter came in to say goodbye, she she looked up and she said, it's my time to go. She took off her oxygen mask. She had lung cancer, took her last breath and said goodbye. And so, you know, as we're going through these processes, there's things that we can learn through this journey that will help our loved one. And one of those things is, is making sure that your loved one that's struggling or you yourself, if it's you that's going through a hardship, make sure that all relationships are made right. Uh, I asked a, a man one time, what, you know, if you knew this was the last thing you would, last day you would live on earth, what would you do on this day? He said, I would make everything right with everyone I know. And I said, then why are you waiting? Why not do it now? And I think that's part of this, this whole journey that I really focus on in the book. It's, it's learning that your loved one needs to make things right with everyone. And that might mean assigning a person to call up some lost friends, some long-lost friends or a family member that's disgruntled and trying to bridge that gap for your own loved one, um, making things right, learning to help your loved one walk through the process of forgiveness. So vital, so important. A lot of times people don't want to leave when they're supposed to be leaving because things have not been right, made right with a loved one. So I talk about that in the book, reaching out to those people and, and making things right with everyone that you can make things right with. And sometimes your loved one just needs some help in doing that. So as, as we're walking through this journey of life and we see the end is coming, there's some really important things we need to do to be ready. And one of those is forgiveness, learning to forgive. I, um, my dad was such a dear, he was a dear man, and I had to write him a letter when I was in my early 30s and ask him to forgive me because I had held animosity against him because he wasn't there for me. He was so busy doing church and singing in a gospel group and traveling all over the country. And when I wrote him the letter, he, wrote, he, he called me and he said, I don't understand. And I said, you don't need to. Will you forgive me? <laughs> and he said, of course I will. And I'm telling you, Elizabeth, at that very moment, he and I became best of friends. And that's when the love of God became so evident in my life. I could feel God just surround me like a blanket. His love was so real and so intense. And I didn't know that harboring against my own father was, was cutting 
off the love that God wanted to show me in my own life. And I think that's just such a, a beautiful lesson, even for our loved ones, that they can feel his love when they rid themselves of bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness. And I encourage that in the book. Um, another thing was uh, uh, one of the chapters, a diamond, Diamonds in the Rain, and I wrote that chapter because it's truly learning to surrender to God our circumstances. My circumstances are very small in the eyes of a very big God. And that was one of the lessons I learned, Elizabeth. I felt so small, and God was so massive. And I thought, well, he's the creator. He's the healer. He's the provider. Why am I worried about what I'm going to do? And so when we, when we really look at things from a heavenly perspective, we understand God is in control anyway. And I, 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 as I worked with families, uh, oftentimes I remember them saying, well, you know, does God love me? Because you don't feel like he does when you're, when you're facing this thing. You're, you don't feel like God loves you. But God does love you, and it's, it's in the midst of our deepest pain that God is watching to see if we're going to reach out for his abundant promises. Uh, I, I think of this scripture in uh, um, Exodus uh, 3, 7. Uh, the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt. I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, and I am aware of their suffering. And so that tells us right there that God sees, he hears, he knows, and he cares. And I, I think, you know, sometimes we just have to learn to fight the, the, the thoughts that come through our head, and we have to reach out to Scripture whatever our struggles are in the midst of this pain, and we have to say God is in this. He's in this thing. He works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. And I know when we do that, he is there to meet us. If somebody came up to you and said, well, Miss Robin, I'm really trying to fight this fear that's really trying to consume me, and I don't know what to do. I've opened the Bible up. I've prayed. I've talked to others. I've talked to my pastor. I feel like I'm not really being heard. How would you answer that call for help? Well, here's, here's the thing. Fear is like a, it's like a ferocious lion looking for prey, and you cannot give in to it or it will take you over. It'll take you over. So one, you want to start with just fighting fear with faith. You know, fear stands in the opposition of faith. So you, you have to un understand that you make a choice. Am I going to walk in fear, or am I going to walk in faith? And you can walk in faith by knowing that God is eternal, that once you say yes to Jesus, you have eternal life, and trust that God is working all things together for good. 
Now, that's hard to do when you're looking at a death sentence. It's hard to do when you've been given a terminal illness. But you can fight that fear, and I remember that's what I did. I had to fight the the visions in my head of being totally paralyzed, unable to move or speak. I had to grab those thoughts and cast them out of my mind, and I had to replace them like the Word of God. The Word of God says, think on good things. Think on what is lovely, what is true, what is pure, what is holy. So you determine in your mind, I'm not going to think on those things of fear, that fear is trying to place in my mind. I'm going to think on good things. And then you fight fear with, with the love of God, just constantly reminding yourself that God loves you, that he's working on your behalf, that he is, he's got the big picture. He understands the big, the big picture when we don't. And then fight fear with facts. You know, sometimes we let our mind wander, and our mind will take us to places we don't, we were never intended to go. And that's what fear does. It wants you to buy into its belief. And when you do, you give the devil room to to make the very things you agree with in thought come into being. I remember saying, I refuse those visions, and I took my scriptures and I spoke them out. God is a God of, of truth. God cannot lie. He is the God who heals. And I just quoted them over and over and over again. And then I fought fear with prayer. God, I trust you. I trust you. I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust you. And when you pray those kinds of prayers, you're taking your future out of the hands of the devil. You're taking your future out of the hands of the devil, and you're putting them in the hand of God where they belong. One thing, Elizabeth, your faith will define your life. It'll define your death. So you need to know what you really believe and then pray those things out. Fight with faith. Live in it. Walk in it. It's a powerful tool for battle, and you use your faith every day. You use your faith. Are you going to buy into the fear? Are you going to buy into the faith? And I'm telling you, the Word of God paints a prettier picture than what the devil gives you with fear. We have about one minute left, and I'm asking a big question here, but can you talk about how eloquently you like to discuss build a legacy, live a legacy, leave a legacy? Yes, uh, you know, this is such an important issue, Elizabeth, because I, as I said before, I watched my father of 50 years live it out. So you build a legacy first by deciding that what kind of life are you going to live? Are you going to live a life that pleases God? If so, then you, then you start to live that out. You walk the life that the Bible has instructed us to walk. And when we do that, we're going to leave a legacy that will impact our generations to come, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, because they're going to remember the times that you prayed, the times that you spoke faith over their life, the times you laid on hands and prayed for them. They're going to see that you lived a life that that was meaningful and had purpose and dedication. That's the kind of legacy that leaves an impact in a child's heart forever. 
You've been listening to KKPZ 1330 AM, The Truth. Thank you so very much to my guest, Robin Bertram, who is the author of Hidden Treasures, Finding Hope at the End of Life's Journey. Until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other.